morning. We have a, just a fantastic passage before us this morning. Just so many interesting things to consider. And I know things the Lord wants to use to minister to our hearts here today. So let's set this up. Then we'll read through the text and then jump into this. And, and uh, just pray that God really meets us where we're at in the scripture. So last week is uh, we went a little deeper into Acts chapter 16. We saw Paul and his crew, uh, which was Timothy and Silas and Dr. Luke at this point, uh, being forbidden from going into Asia or Bithynia to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we really talked about that and considered it, why the Lord closed that door for them. Yet as they continued to seek the Lord and to knock on doors, the Lord gave Paul a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And from that they perceived that the Lord was calling them to Europe, to Macedonia, to go preach the gospel. Upon going there, remember they ended up in Philippi, the main city there of that region. And as they went to uh, the river, because there was no synagogue, so they went down to the river where the Jews or the Gentiles that had converted to Judaism would meet to pray, they encountered a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple from Thyatira. And remember it says the Lord opened her heart to the things of God, to the things that Paul shared. And she became a believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says all her household believed, they were baptized. And then they persuaded Paul and his team to stay in their home for a bit to disciple them and to minister to them. Well, this morning we continue things here in Philippi. And I titled the message this morning, A Great Spiritual War in Philippi because indeed there was and we're going to get great insight into that spiritual war this morning this morning we're going to see as Paul and Silas and the team continued to share the gospel there in that city they began to get followed by a young girl who was a slave who was also possessed with a demon of divination and we're going to see this morning how she was wanting and really more so the enemy of our soul was wanting to associate that spirit with the ministry of the Lord to hinder the ministry of the Lord from going forward. And we'll talk about that, a lot of aspects in that. We're also going to talk about this young girl. We'll touch on the issue of slavery and the issue of demon possession, both bondages, but praise God, we are going to turn to Jesus Christ and talk about him who has come to set the captives free. And then we're going to see after this girl gets set free, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that her masters, who would use her, uh, you know, at divination and the spirit, the work in her to fortune tell, as they saw that they couldn't make money anymore off of that, we'll see them seizing Paul and Sar Silas and giving them an unlawful trial and throwing them in prison. And then we'll touch on what we're going to get into next week, and we're going to see how they responded to that. Uh, and just again set up for what comes next in the book of Acts. So let's read the text together, verse 16 to 24 here in Acts 16. And then we'll dive into this and, uh, you know, make our way down through the passage. So it says, Now it happened as they went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us, crying out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High. God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation and she did this for many days but Paul greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and he came out that very hour but when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities verse 20 and they brought them to the magistrates and said these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them and the magistrates tore up their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them secretly. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks so notice up here again in verse 16 it says now it happened as they went to prayer and as we've been going through the book of acts and as we've been looking at this second missionary journey 
that Paul is upon, we have just been seeing wonderful things happen and unfold. In this particular uh, journey, this missionary trip, God's given them visions. God has blessed their preaching powerfully. We've seen salvations, baptisms, discipleship, and church plants. And listen, what's in the middle of all that? It's prayer. They are calling out to the Lord. And in this case, they're probably going back down to the river where they first encountered Lydia to go down and pray. There's a few things I want to point out here, and this is going to set up where we're going next. Three things I want to point out about prayer and why they are going down to the river or wherever they're going to pray. Listen, number one, and if you like to take lists, you can mark this. You'll see the verses that we use with these three points. Number one, listen, they were going to pray simply because we're commanded to pray. It's not an option. God has called us and has commanded us to be a people of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And maybe you're here this morning saying, man, I want to know more what the will of God for my life is. Well, listen, prayer is right at the top of that list. And then Jesus said, and, or it says about Jesus in Luke 18, 1, he spoke a parable to them that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. So we've been called to pray. We've been commanded to pray. We're encouraged to pray in the scriptures. And listen, they prayed because they were commanded to. And that was reflective of the fact that they loved the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So it wasn't just that they were commanded to pray, but because they loved the Lord, they wanted to honor those commandments of God. So they prayed because they were commanded to pray and because they loved the Lord. Listen, they also prayed because prayer availeth much. Prayer brings production. Prayer brings, you know what, an abundance of blessings from the Lord. And absolutely, God in His great goodness has given us the gift of prayer. And it moves the hand of God Almighty. James 5.16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word much, it means, hear this this morning, abundance, plenteous, and many. It avails much. God wants us to be a people of prayer because prayer avails much to the glory of God Almighty. Jesus said in John 14, 13, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do you believe that this morning? Can we say amen to that? Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this isn't us taking our will and saying, man, I'm going to take on in Jesus' name, so I'm going to get it done. No, this is praying according to the heart and mind of the Father, according to the Scripture, and according to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And so the Lord says, anything asked in His name, He will do it. Prayer availeth much. And listen, I think about our nation in the midst of the context here of prayer. And we look around our nation and we see our nation is broken. We see that it's in a place that is, you know, it trending not in the right direction. And we look around, I don't know about you, I look around and I say, how can these things be rectified? How can these things be fixed? And we have a tendency to first and foremost look to politicians to fix the things going on. Now I believe absolutely we should be involved in politics to a degree. But we better not be looking to politicians. And I think it's an error that the church has fallen into where we're looking to the politicians first. Listen, the politicians have made much of this mess that we are in. We need to be looking to the Lord first. And I'll remind you of 2 Corinthians 7.14. If my people call by my name, is that not us this morning? Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. We better be a people that are seeking the Lord first, that are humbling our hearts, that are looking to the Lord, that are cleaning up our own backyards first, repenting of what we need to be repenting of, and looking to the Lord and turning to the Lord and asking Him to come and bring a healing to this land. Listen, God loves this land. God loves all lands, and He wants the people in those lands to be seeking after him so they prayed because they were commanded to pray they prayed because prayer availeth much and they prayed because when we pray in jesus name the enemy gets roughed up 
and we are in a spiritual war. So many examples of this in Scripture. But I think about Exodus chapter 17. When the Israelites there are in, are there in the wilderness, they've been called out of Egypt. And the Amalekites, who were a very godless people, are attacking the Israelites. How do they handle that? How do they respond to that? We read in the Scriptures that Moses went upon the hill. And we read there, it's in Exodus 17, 8 through 13. Whenever his hands were lifted up to glory, Israel prevailed in that battle. But when his hands went down, the Amalekites prevailed in that battle. Listen, it wasn't just him lifting his hands up, telling, hey, you guys over here and over here and use this. No, that's a picture of him interceding. That's a picture of him looking to the Lord and saying, God, we need victory. God, we're dependent upon you. Lord, go before us. The scriptures say that after a while, Moses got weary. And as his hands went down, again, the Amalekites would prevail. And so what happened? We read about Aaron and Hur coming alongside Moses. He sits down and they prop up his hands. And as their hands were lifted to glory, it says in Exodus 17, 13, so Joshua, who was leading the battle on the ground, defeated Amalekite and the people with the edge of the sword. That is a picture of spiritual warfare. That is a picture of prayer. When we pray, the enemy gets roughed up. Also, though, we need to know, and this is going to lead us into what's next. When we pray, the enemy not only gets roughed up, but he gets stirred up and he wants to mess us up. Listen, he doesn't pay much mind to sideline Christians. The Christians that aren't interested in praise and prayer and evangelism and the word and using their spiritual gifts and so forth. They're already doing what he wants them to be doing. You know what that is? Nothing. He gets concerned with the Pauls and Silas's and Timothys and Luke's, the Lydia's and so forth that are men and women of prayer, men and women of the word. Men and women that don't want to squander their time here on earth with aimless conduct, but want to be about the business of God. And when that's the case, listen, he's going to get stirred up and he's going to say, I want to mess you up. Praise God. We got a God that's greater than anything he stirs up. But it sets up what comes up next in our text. They went to pray and this is where this young girl enters the scene who sadly Satan is working through to try to mess with Paul to try to discredit the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul and Silas are preaching now again verse 16 it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling let's talk a little bit about this girl and then we'll see how Satan is working through her to try to come against the message and the work that's being done. Now, first of all, we read about this girl that she was a certain slave girl. And hear this this morning. I think we would all agree, at least I hope we would agree, that slavery is a horrific thing. We read in the scriptures about the Israelites being slaves there in Egypt for hundreds of years. It's a horrible thing. We know in the Roman Empire, in the time that this book is being composed, that There were millions of slaves. They say up to 15% of the population in Rome were slaves, maybe even higher than that. We know that our country has a horrible history of slavery. And listen, there's no excuse for it whatsoever. No excuse for it whatsoever. Well, those men were godly, the founder of the nation. Listen, there were some godly men, but they were flawed men. And we don't want to excuse, again, the actions that were taken to have slaves. There's no excuse for it whatsoever. Can we say amen to that this morning? And listen, in our world today, there are perhaps more slaves ever in the history of the world. Do you know that? There's millions and millions and millions of slaves in this world today. You don't hear a lot of talk about that. There should be more talk about that. We should be more educated about those things and praying for those people and trying to bring light to those things and so forth. Now, this whole issue is an issue that people grapple with greatly, and we should grapple with it. The question often comes up, how did this start? How could God allow this to happen? Well, know this this morning, that God made men free. 
God created Adam and Eve and put them in that garden and gave them freedom. Remember, he said, you can eat of any tree of this garden, you'll be blessed. But the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. You're going to go into spiritual bondage, slavery, if you eat of that tree. We know how the account goes. Satan came along, villainized God. Man ate of that tree, wanting to be like God, saying, I will be my own God. Man chose to eat from that tree, and the fall produced slaves. First and foremost, it produced slaves to sin and to hell. And that's where many, many people are in our world today. Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and there's many that go in through it. So slaves to sin and hell. Also a slavery to the enemy of our soul. Listen, dominion was given to man, and when man sinned in the garden, he forfeited much of that dominion to Satan. First John says that the world is under the sway of who? The wicked one. And then it also produced slaves to other men. People owning other people. It goes back to the fall of man in the garden. And listen, there's different degrees of this. But you need to know this morning, just about everyone in this world is a slave to somebody. (laughs) Listen, we have certain freedoms But there's a lot of freedoms that we don't have and we won't have until the Lord Jesus comes back. Praise God in heaven, there'll be no taxes. (laughs) It's beautiful, in fact, as there's description of the millennial rule of Jesus Christ. It it talks about a man, you know what, earning his wages and being able to keep what he earned. And to be able to sit under his tree and in his home and to drink from the wine in his vineyard and so forth. But this all came from the fall of man. Now praise God, Jesus Christ came to do what? He came to set the captives free. Jesus said in Luke 4, uh, 18, he came to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are pressed. And he did this first and foremost to liberate us spiritually. Again, when man sinned, we came into a place of bondage, a place of slavery to the enemy of our soul. But Jesus Christ has redeemed us. To be redeemed, it means to be purchased out of slavery and never to be put upon the slave block again. And Jesus Christ did that. And he didn't do that through gold and silver and things that will perish But he did that through the precious blood of the Lamb of God. He paid the penalty of our sin. He paid the wrath that was due us by going to the cross for us. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time you stay here in fear. Notice here verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin to purchase us out of spiritual bondage. And listen, all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ, all who say, I want you to be my Lord, we experience and we receive that liberation. We're no longer under the law that condemns, condemns us, But from therefore, we are under the grace of God that saves us, that sets us free. And that is so good. Now, God's word also gave instruction that defeated slavery eventually in Rome. And listen, his instruction wasn't to take up arms, but his instruction was to take up the cross. And this is hard for natural men to wrap their minds around. In fact, there's people that try to criticize the word of God for what's written in several of the epistles concerning slavery and slave owners because we open up the word of God and we read passages like first Timothy 1 6 that says let as many bond servants that are under a yoke count their masters worthy of all honor so the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed and those who have believing masters let them not despise them because they are brethren but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. 
And people read that and they say, no, 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 that shouldn't be the response. The response should be take up arms. But God said, no, take up the cross. And in like manner, he instructed those people that were masters to uh, give up threatening. He writes there at Ephesians 6, 9, knowing your own master is also in heaven and there's no partiality with him. So the Lord pointed them all to the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, as more and more people came to Christ in Rome, as more and more slaves came to Christ, as more and more slave owners came to Christ, that whole relationship began to be broken down through what? Through the shed blood of the Lamb. And eventually the whole thing was overthrown. Why? Because so many people got liberated in Christ and the culture was changed on the inside and that produced change on the outside. We can't overcome anything if we don't first seek the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in things that are biblical. Now that's not to say that there haven't been times in history where there were righteous wars that were fought. But first and foremost, each of us, if we want to get free from bondage, whatever it is, we better take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we learn to die to ourselves, we won't lose our life. You know what happens? We gain our life in the Lord Jesus Christ because victory is found in Him. Now this young girl, how can you read this and your heart not go out to her? Again, she's a slave. And then she's possessed with a spirit of divination. She has a demon, which is even a worse bondage than being a slave. I don't know. I look at this and I ask the question, how did this happen? How did she get into this place? There's several ways that she could have gotten there. I have to think that perhaps she was a victim of some sort of satanic ritual abuse growing up. Maybe lived in a home where... The occult was prevalent. These things are still prevalent in the world today. Children, it happens even in our own community, that are raised in satanic homes and occultic homes that are abused so heavily as children and so forth. And oftentimes in that, they get demons through that. As these parents are there to try to protect their soul, instead they open their soul to that which is wicked. Listen, a lot of the human traffic, the trafficking that goes along, and there's goes along, and there's a lot of it. There's a lot of this in the county. It revolves around Satanism, whether you know it or not. It bounds today. I also have to wonder if perhaps she got to this place of having this demon because of just maybe her own unclean living. Listen, unclean living, it gives opportunity for unclean spirits to come in and make residence in your life. And this whole practice of divination is something that is demonic. Fortune telling through a demonic or a familiar spirit. Listen, Satan knows certain things. And he has the ability to be able to give people with the spirit of divination certain tidbits about individuals that draws them even more into black practices and occultic things like this. Leviticus 19.31 says, give no regard to mediums. And notice here, familiar spirits. Don't seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. Spirits that are familiar with us, familiar with our families, familiar with our workplaces and so forth. To throw out a bone to try to get people hooked into these occultic practices, which are 100% forbidden in the Word of God in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. And it's interesting how much of this is in the book of Acts. I mean, as we've been going through the book of Acts, there's been multiple times now, and there's still some times to come, where the apostles are dealing with sorcerers. They're dealing with witches. They're dealing with demon-possessed individuals. They're dealing with entire cultures that walk and practice the occult and witchcraft, whether it's Simon the sorcerer, Elimus the magus, or here in Philippi, or later on in Ephesus, when there's a great revival and they burn all of their, you know, uh, books on magic and all the different things that they would use. And we see again in the old and the new these things being forbidden and or condemned by God. So many scriptures, Deuteronomy. 18.9, it says, when you come into the land which the Lord God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of 
the nations. <clears throat> Who are we learning to follow this morning? The Lord or abominable things? He says, there should not be found among you anyone who makes a son or daughter pass through the fire. Or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer. Or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer. Or conjures spells, a medium, a spirit as one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these, uh, and because of these abominations, the Lord God drives them out before you. But you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispose, uh, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. God hasn't appointed to these, us to these things. God's called us to seek after him. And one thing we got to know, understand that these sins and certain others especially, hear this, they're gateways to demon possession and demon oppression. Ecclesiastes 10.8 says, he who digs a pit will fall into it. So be careful if you're digging a pit. And it says, whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. And there are certain walls and borders the Lord has put up around us. And if we say, hey, I got freedom to go through that wall, and in Christ we do, listen, you're going to get bit by a serpent. And an unbeliever that wants to go through those walls, listen, they might get possessed by that serpent. I think the demon possession is at an all-time high in the world today. There are so many people in our own nation that have just been overcome by sin and the practice of sin and rebellion. It alters their face, it alters their personality, it alters their mind. We need to be praying for revival in this land, for a harvest of souls, that these things will get broken down in the name of Jesus. Now this young girl, she brought her masters much profit through fortune-telling and divination. This was big business back then, and sadly it's big business today. And there were many people that would come and pay to get insights from demons. This is not only sinful, but it's stupid. Sin makes you stupid. Isaiah 8:19. And when you say seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony? If they do not speak according to this word, it's because no light is in them. Why would we seek the dead? Why would we seek the demonic when we can seek the living God? Now notice verse 17. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. This girl and more so this spirit was messing with Paul. The verse after this says, after a time, Paul being greatly annoyed. And we should ask the question, how is she messing with them? Because at first glance, you would look and say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. What she's saying is true. They were servants of the Most High God, and indeed, he is the Most High God. And they were proclaiming the way, the only way of salvation. They were giving the gospel. That Christ came to this world, that Christ lived a sinless life. He died for our sins. He rose from the grave. And whoever calls on his name, Jew or Gentile, will be born again and be saved. So how in the world was she doing something that was harmful? Well, listen, this was Satan trying to associate the things of God with the things of Satan. He had attacked from the outside. And the more he attacked from the outside, the more the church multiplied. Now he says, I'm going to try to attack from the inside. And Satan is very clever in these types of things. He is very serpent-like in these types of things. Let me try to slither in. Listen, the enemy knew that if he could associate this girl with this spirit who practiced divination with the work of the Lord, it could do great damage there in Philippi. The Jews that they were evangelizing knew that divination was a sin. They knew what we just read there in Deuteronomy. No doubt they knew who this girl was. No doubt she is a figure known by many in this city. What would happen if she was continuing to follow Paul and Luke and the crew the whole time they were there? The Jews would begin to relate Paul with this spirit, with divination. 
And that would move them to reject the testimony that they brought of the risen Savior. No doubt as well, they would also associate the miracles that God did through Paul and these men. They would associate those miracles not with the Holy Spirit of God, but with the spirit that possessed this woman. And it'd be very easy for them to bring a charge. They do these things not by the hand of God, but by the hand of Satan. Can you think of anyone that the accused uh, of that earlier on? I mean, in Matthew 12, 24, it says, When the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons by Beelzebub. Does he not cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons? They said, Jesus, you're doing what you're doing by not the Holy Spirit, but by an unclean spirit. And then the Lord rebuked them and said, if I cast out demons by Satan, then that kingdom's going to fall. A kingdom divided will not fall. Or a kingdom divided is going to fall. So this was the enemy's effort to try to associate the things of Satan with the things of God to keep the Jews coming to know God. This is very clever on the enemy's part. Listen, this would also, though, affect the Gentiles. Because if they begin to think that Paul was, again, in line with that spirit. They would see the things, again, God was doing through Paul. And they'd come to the conclusion, it's by that spirit that he's doing those things. And they would come to the conclusion, he's offering nothing new to us than what she and what this group is already offering. More of the demonic. They're just like us. Listen, it's a bad thing when churches fall into the place of wanting to be just like the world. We want to be cool and relevant and accepted and fun. Why wouldn't anyone in the world wanting out of the world be drawn to a church that looks just like the world? Those in that place, they're not drawn to the Lord. We got to remember what we win people with is what we win them to. So he's trying to associate the things of God with the things of Satan. And listen, this was also a personal attack on Paul, on his person, on his spirit. Notice verse 18, and she did this for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. This word annoyed in the Greek, it is is a very wide word. It means to be grieved. It means to be worried. It means to experience pain, to anguish, and to toil through. I think there's some things we can consider here. These are just some thoughts. I have to think perhaps Paul was annoyed by Satan trying to be his PR man. (laughs) Hey, listen to him. These are servants of the Most High God. They proclaim the way of salvation. He was probably also annoyed by the amount of time and disruption that this brought. Here they are trying to minister the gospel, and here they have this continual disruption. It'd be kind of like if that horn went the whole sermon. I would get greatly annoyed. Listen, be more mature, Steve. No, I would get greatly annoyed. Oh, Lord, give me strength. (laughs) No doubt as well, listen, this grieved Paul. And I have to think that Paul was grieved for her soul. As well as grief for the souls of those who hung in the balance. Here they are with the message of liberation. And here's the enemy trying to come against that message. I'd have to think that perhaps Paul was worried and concerned that he would take the bait. And get into the flesh and deal with this in an unbiblical way. I don't know about you, when stuff annoys me, I get tempted to get into the flesh. Am I the only one here? (laughs) And then no doubt there was pain and anguish. This is something that went on many days. And this wasn't just, again, a, a, you know, a voice that was annoying, but this was a demonic force working through this girl. And no doubt this was a weighty warfare that was going on in the midst of Paul's life. Satan oftentimes will come in and, again, try to lean hard upon you and discourage you and so forth. And then, listen, they had to toil through this practically and prayerfully for many days. And in fact, after many days, it says that Paul turned, notice here, not to the girl, but he turned to the spirit. He turned to this demon. And he addressed this demon. And this is, again, a picture of a spiritual war that's going on around us. 
Ephesians 6.12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spirituals of wickedness and the heavenly places. Paul had discernment. Paul understood what was going on. And so after many days, he turns to the Spirit. And you might ask the question here, why did he take so long? Why didn't he just do this from the beginning, turn to the Spirit? Well, hear this this morning. Some strongholds take time to tear down. There was a young child that was possessed with a demon when Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples who stayed down below couldn't cast the devil out of this child. The Lord comes down, he says, bring the child to me. The Lord delivers the child. And then they ask Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And the Lord talks about faith and needing faith. And then in Matthew 17, 21, he says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Some strongholds take time to get torn down. And listen, hear this this morning. This is huge. Most strongholds stay up because so many don't want to labor in getting them torn down. If there are strongholds in your life, it's time to begin to labor in the Lord and call out to Christ for that stronghold to get torn down. If there are strongholds in the lives of your children... You need to ask God to give you endurance and unction to stay the course on your knees praying that stronghold will get torn down. We'll come back to the, a thought as well of why this took some time. An encouraging thought. So he turns to the Spirit and he says, I command you. He doesn't say in the name of the Apostle Paul, but in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of here. Praise God, there's power in the name of Jesus. Do you know that this morning? Power that is found in the name of Christ in the life of the believer. Mark 16, 17, it says, These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. We see in the Lord's ministry at one point, listen, he sent out his disciples, it says in Matthew 10, 1, and gave them power over unclean spirits. Now, that's not power in our name. That's not power in us. That's power in Jesus Christ. That's power in the name of the Lord. And we want to make sure that we don't mix those two things. We want to know who we are in the Lord and know we have, again, authority. But we need to remember, remember it's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord's strength, the Lord's power. In Jude 9, we read about Michael the archangel having a dispute with the devil. And he'll say, I'm Michael, I rebuke you in the name of Michael. But he says, no, the Lord rebuke you. In the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus, it's the name above every name. The time's coming soon when every knee will bow. Of those in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in the name of Jesus, he commands the Spirit to come out. And it says, that very hour, the Spirit came out. Now here's the thought. Again, that very hour, the Spirit came out when Paul addressed that Spirit. But many, many days went on before this. Listen, for a Spirit to come out of an individual, there's two things that need to happen. It has to be cast out in the name of Jesus Christ, but that person also wants to have that demon cast out. And I have to think that perhaps her following Paul day after day after day being used by the enemy, there's no doubt they were praying for her soul day after day after day after day. And at some point she began to listen to that gospel message. And at some point she began to yearn to want to be free, to want to be liberated, to want to be delivered from that spirit that possessed her. There was a man that was ill there in John 5, 6. He'd been in a condition for a long time, and Jesus came to him and said, Do you want to be made well? There's a lot of people that are in bondages that, guess what? They don't want to be liberated from them. And sometimes that's where the prayer needs to start. Sometimes that's where the prayer needs to start in our own life, where we're in bondage. But we need to ask the question, do I really want to be liberated from it? And that's when we need to pray, Lord, 
give me a heart that wants to be liberated, that wants to be free. Lord, give my child a heart that wants to be liberated. Let them see the bondage that they're in and the damage that's happening and how this is going to play out if they continue in it. And I want to believe, again, I'm, this is just a thought, I want to believe that God used all those days and are following Paul around to open our heart to truth, to say, yes, I want to be liberated. Because, listen, if that demon was just cast out, eventually she'd be in a way worse state than she was then. Because in Luke, Jesus talks about, in Luke 11, 24 through 26, that if a spirit is cast out, it will go and wonder, and then it will come back to that house it was cast out of, and if there's not new residents there, it will take seven spirits more wicked than it and come and possess that house again. That's why it's not enough to cast the demon out. It's about inviting the Lord Jesus Christ in. Now notice verse 19. But when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They saw, they saw she lost her ability. They saw the devil was cast out of her. And instead of rejoicing for her that she had been liberated, instead, what do they do? They seize Paul and Silas. These were cruel, selfish, soulless, no concern about God and judgment type of men. They didn't care about the gospel. It's interesting. As long as she was following Paul around, saying what she was saying, Paul was preaching the gospel, they felt like, you know, whatever, it doesn't affect us. But what did they care about? They cared about their money they were lovers of money listen money in itself it's fine but if you're a lover of money i would propose they were in a worse bondage than even that poor girl was in everyone can look at her and see her condition at least most people would say man she needs to be liberated and what's the lie of this world Hey, if you get enough money, you'll be liberated. <laughs> Again, money in itself, it's a fine thing. It can be used for a lot of good. We should be good stewards of money and be thankful for money. But the love of money, it is destructive. It is a bondage. 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. If you're in a place this morning where you are a lover of money, you love mammon over God, you need to repent this morning. And if you say, I can't repent, then you better start praying, God, give me a heart that wants to be liberated from this bondage. And then notice they drag them to the marketplace where the authorities are at. And I just asked myself the question, why are the authorities in the marketplace? Simple answer, the money controls the laws. (laughs) We've seen this in the last nine months. Why is Walmart open and mom and pop shut down? Follow the money. Follow the money. And side note, just so you know, if Joe Biden does end up in the White House, he's controlled by the money, by China and Wall Street. Oh, he's a progressive fellow. Nah. Nope. He ain't at all. He ain't met with any of those groups that are misguided, that maybe have a good intention but need to be pointed to the Lord. He ain't met with any of them. None of them. He's meeting with Wall Street and China. Let's pray for our nation. Amen. Verse 20. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. So the demon worked through the girls, and the accuser of the brethren now is working through their master. Revelation 12.10 talks about the accuser accuses us night and day. Brings an accusation, these trumped up charges... They've done nothing wrong, yet Satan brings great accusation. Notice how he starts with these Jews. This is an anti-Semitic charge, which is almost always rooted in an anti-Christ spirit. Christ came to the Jews, and Christ is going to come back 
and save all the Jews, save all of Israel. And in that, there is a spirit of Antichrist against Israel that has been there since the fall of man. And from the time God called Abraham and said, the Savior is going to come through you. It just comes out of them. And then they say, they exceedingly trouble our city when nothing can be further from the truth. They were there to liberate that city. But simple man who loves sin and stuff and darkness, they don't see it that way. They try to instead try to suppress the truth and unrighteousness because it convicts their soul. When light shines in their face, they do all in their power to try to put out that light. I just mentioned China. Listen, we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in China right now. There is an incredible effort being put forth by the Chinese government to snuff out Christianity in that nation. All the pastors in China right now are being targeted. They're trying to round them up and arrest them. They're all going offline off their computers and phones. They all have to have an I, a, a, a card with an ID chip in it. They know where everyone's at. They're breaking that chip so they can't be traced. They're also going in and they're perverting the scriptures. In the place where it talks about the woman caught in adultery, they change that text and they say that Jesus actually stoned that woman and should, Jesus said he was a sinner. And if Christianity is nothing and, listen, we all came from apes like they put forth being atheists, why are they even concerned? I'll tell you why, because Jesus Christ is the living God and the name of Jesus convicts their soul. You need to know this as well, according to scriptures, that's coming to a country near you. And then they say they teach customs not lawful for us Romans to receive or observe. And Satan loves to set up evil laws by evil men to try to make it illegal to worship the living God. Their law read this, no person shall have any separate gods nor new ones, nor shall he privately worship any strange gods unless they are publicly allowed. Let's set up a law to come against the worship of God. We've experienced that over the last nine months in this country. Did you ever think you'd see the day where people are trying to enforce a mandate or a guidance so that the body of Christ can't come together and worship? We can't come together and sing. These are all things they put forward at different times. You can't minister to your kids. You can't embrace one another. You can't lay hands on the sick. I'll tell you that guidance that says, don't preach long sermons. I won't preach as long as I want. How do you like that? And I'll say it again because some people say, oh, Steve, you're not loving. You meeting aren't loving. You're not loving your neighbor. This is a pandemic. The death rate is exactly the same this year as last year. And the CDC or the WHO or whatever, they just admitted. If it's a pneumonia, Influenza, influenza, or the the cold, or, or uh, the flu, or the cold—they all classify it as a COVID death. It's called a pick. And you got people sitting there watching CNN all day. Oh no, we're all gonna die! Quit listening to liars. Quit listening to liars. Is there a COVID? Yes. Any medical book says the coronavirus symptoms, the common cold. Some colds are worse than others. This is a lie. It is a lie, a lie, a lie, a lie. And it's the enemy trying to keep people from coming to the Lord. It's wicked men in high places doing wicked things. And these wicked laws made by wicked men, listen, they're null and void in the eyes of God Almighty when they contradict the word of God. Notice Paul doesn't say, oh, please forgive me. I didn't know that. I'm not following Romans 13. Let's get that demon back in that girl. Let's get Lydia unsaved, uh, unsaved again. And I won't preach the gospel ever again. Doesn't do that. I don't got time, but you go through the scripture. He was following the example of the midwives there in Exodus, when they said, kill the baby, they said, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they said, bow that statue, bow down to that statue, no, we're not going to do that. Daniel, when they said, you don't pray, you can't pray anymore to God, no, nah, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to pray to God. Mordecai, when he wouldn't bow down to Haman. And we've seen in Acts, Peter and John saying, no, we're going to preach the gospel. The apostles saying, we're going to obey God rather 
them in. This is crunch time. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Verse 22, then the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. The herd mentality kicks in. Beware of the herd mentality. A lot of herd mentality going on right now. Proverbs 1.10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And this crowd was following again. These wicked individuals, not the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice here, they begin, to, they begin to beat them with rods without hearing Paul or Silas at all. Proverbs 18, 17, there's some practical instruction for us here. The first one to plead his case seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. And then notice Proverbs 18, 13, who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. We got to be careful not to rush into judgment or conclusions between people or against people or in situations without hearing from both sides. Oftentimes people come with half truths and lies or just their own angle of what happened. Oftentimes promoting an agenda, wanting to get people to side up with them. And when you just listen to that and begin to follow that, you don't go get the other side. You have been, are you ready for this? Suckered. And it's also a thing when we do that that is shameful. We should be ashamed of ourselves when we walk in that. Because this morning, that's all happened to us before, has it not? If that's never happened to you, raise your hand. No hands being raised. Where someone's gone and made things up about us, and then a person or a group of people begin to believe that, and they never come to you. Oftentimes people that are your friends or supposedly your friends, they never come to you. They never want to extend any mercy to you. Oftentimes people like lies and they like to run with lies. And listen, when we do that, that is a shameful thing and we should be ashamed of ourselves. It's shameful behavior. And this is shameful behavior that's going on here. And it's even worse because they begin to beat these guys with rods. And the magistrates there, they're not interested in justice. They're just interested in appeasing the people and maintaining their position of power. Now notice, and we'll close on this, 23 and 24. And when they laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer, and we'll come back to him next week, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So they were seized, unfairly tried, they were whipped in the public square. They're thrown into prison. Now they're put in the hole, and their feet are fastened in stocks. Let me ask the question, what would you do if you were treated like this? What do you do when you feel like you're being treated like this? You ever feel like you're being treated like this? By what, what, you feel like you're being treated unfairly? What do we do? Get angry or just get defeated or get on Facebook. <laughs> get a counter movement going on. This is powerful. And Lord willing, we'll come back to this next week. Look what they did. Look what they did and look what they did first. This is what we should do. Acts 16, 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. That powerful? All this coming against them, all these forces of hell on earth coming against them. And what did they do? Did they respond in the flesh? They said, no, we're going to be in these stocks, but we're going to praise God. And we're going to pray, and we're going to sing hymns, and everyone in that prison were listening. No doubt they knew what happened. They knew what unfolded. And they were listening, probably in shock. Look at these men, they're praising God. Man, the glory that must have been there in that time. So glorious that the whole place shook. It doesn't say, you know, there was a little shaking. Was that an earthquake? I'm not sure. We're going with this earthquake. No, it was a great earthquake. The doors opened. The chains were loosed. 
We'll come back to that next week. You're welcome to read ahead. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just bless you and praise you, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you're good. We thank you, Lord, that you have come to set the captives free, and we got freedom in you, Jesus. Let us be found a people abounding in our freedom in the Lord. And listen, if you're here this morning, and you don't know the Lord, if you're watching this morning, you don't know the Lord, Jesus Christ, again, has come to liberate those that are in bondage. I can't encourage you enough to call upon the name of Jesus. To ask Him to save you, to wash you, to be your Lord, to be your Savior. He'll meet you where you're at. Listen, Jesus came to save souls. He wants to save your soul. There's no partiality with God. Call upon Jesus. Call upon the Lord. Lord, any of that place calling and you meet them where they're at right now. Shine your face on them right now, God. Give them a boldness even right now to want to proclaim Jesus is their Lord God, not only in their private prayer closet, but in the public square. We bless you. We praise you, God. Let us finish well, lifting our voices to you. Let's worship the Lord.
Well, I just pray God blesses you, shines his face upon you. We got some time before the next service. Encourage you guys to encourage others to build one another up. And just God bless you again in the name of Jesus.